Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Everyday Theology Podcast, where we as ordinary pastors connect theological truths to everyday believers. I'm Dustin Walters, one of your hosts, and I'm joined by Ben Campbell, your other host. Ben, I'm so glad to be back on the podcast, and uh, thank you for not firing me, even though it's been super hard to be consistent lately with recording. (laughs) Dustin, you're fired. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's been good. We've had we've had a busy few weeks, and uh, thanks to all the listeners for being patient. And uh, when we've been absent every other week or something like that, but uh, we're hopefully going to be getting back into the Christmas spirit here before too long, putting out podcasts and giving you nice presents. So, yes, the presence of our presence <laughs> that'll preach. Well, dear listener, we bring back our monthly favorite. Uh, Many of you have given us positive feedback on this. Uh, We've been journeying through what we're calling Four Lindsay and Fridays, and we're journeying through uh, the late Leroy Four Lines' seminal work, The Quest for Truth, Theology for Postmodern Times. And what Ben and I have been doing is we've been kind of going through a chapter, you know, once a month, the first Friday of the month. And since today is December 2nd, uh, it is time for another Four Lindsay and Friday. Today, we're going to be discussing how Four Lines understood the atonement and justification. The atonement and justification. Ben, what does the word atonement mean? Well, the atonement uh, is the doctrine uh, that we believe that uh, defines basically the meaning of the death of Christ and how His sacrifice or his death on the cross was a sacrifice. It was a a substituting sacrifice. So uh, I'm getting ahead of what Four Lines does. But um, basically what we find in the atonement is how God provides forgiveness for sins. So the word atonement, uh, just to kind of bring everybody, you know, back into the, the etymology of the word, which is just kind of the history of how we got it, uh, it's it's this this phrase that means the condition of being at one with. And so our sin, going back then to the original fall, uh, Garden of Eden, our sin has separated us from God. And how is it that humans can be back with God in a, in a oneness relationship? It is through the shedding of blood. What is it the writer of Hebrews says? That without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin under the old covenant. They had to do that by actual sacrificing in the temple. But now under the Messiah in the new covenant, Ben, the sacrifice, praise God, has been made once and for all. And I'm also mm-hmm. thankful for that for um, selfish reasons because I am a sinner and I stand daily in need of Christ's grace. And um, if I had to sacrifice a lamb every time I sinned, uh, there wouldn't be enough lambs in the world uh, to cover that. And I'm so thankful for how John described Jesus as the lamb that good old King James taketh away the sin of the world. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it, the atonement um, often gets this caricature of being sort of this bloody do- uh, doctrine that is gory and maybe even somewhat inappropriate. But really, it's 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 probably the most beautiful doctrine in all of Scripture. May, maybe a close uh, tie would be justification, but um, which truly you can't really have one without the other. But um, but you know, I, I'm convinced that the I, the view of atonement that we're going to talk about today is is central not only to 
Christian, the Christian faith, but also to the gospel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Forlons, uh, obviously, you know, listener, he's going to come at this from his total personality approach. He's going to talk about um, how, how atonement and justification are just, not just theological abstracts for people at Bible college and seminary, but, but really for mm-hmm. everyday believers. In fact, Ben, I want to share a quote from page 183 of Quest, which really uh, is so imperative. Uh, there's two quotes that I'm going to read here from Forlons, and I want our listeners, especially those of you who are pastors, to really internalize this. So here we go. It is of utmost importance that we maintain a sound doctrine of atonement. The study of the atonement must be done with a whole personality, not just the rational mind. And to that, we would say a hearty amen, that we not just talk about the atonement in our heads, but how it affects our heart, our our will, our attitudes, and every other thing about us. And then he goes on and he says, um, and I love this quote, Ben, I have it highlighted in my copy of Quest, we need preaching and teaching. Yeah, I mean, it's so good, right? You just mm. Sometimes you read four lines, you're like, I want to highlight the whole sentence, but I can't do that. So <laughs> I'd have a whole book full of highlights, and I wouldn't be able to see anything. But anyway, um, he <laughs> said, we need preaching and teaching that gives a developed view of the, the need and the nature of the atonement and how it's applied in justification. What a rich, uh, pregnant sentence there. Preaching and teaching, developed view, so not just a shallow surface, believe in Jesus and all your problems go away. Developed view mm-hmm. of the need, and also there's an ontological claim here. He says, nature of atonement, and how mm-hmm. is it that atonement is applied? Before we talk about the different views, Ben, uh, I think you could give our listeners a good overview of the difference between penal satisfaction and governmental view. But... Why is it so important that we understand how justification is applied in light well, of, you know, this whole new perspective on Paul stuff comes into that too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. I mean, there's really a lot of factors that comes into uh, that once you, you know, when you really boil that down. Um, but again, this is where I go back to the claim that um, – the atonement is not only central to the Christian faith, but it's central to the gospel. Um, because without the shed blood of Christ on the cross, there is no salvation. You, because again, as the writer of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. There's none. Um, again, um, which means by second Christian that we stand condemned and deserve hell. Right, right. Read Romans uh, 5, 6, 7, and 8, um, and you really read those four chapters, and it's only by the death of Christ. It's only by his substitutionary death. I like the way um, John Stott describes the atonement. Um, He calls it satisfaction through substitution. Um, And so, because, you know, there's, there's sort of this um, this disagreement where some theologians will call it the penal satisfaction view. Others will call it penal substitutionary atonement. So Stott kind of said satisfaction through substitution to kind of, I guess, be a part of the get along gang. But, um, but what he says is that Christ's Christ's death satisfies the wrath of God toward our sin because he was our substitute. And uh, when you, when you truly understand that there is a 
a satisfactory element through the substitutionary nature of it, um, you understand why Christ came from the beginning, from, you know, as, as a man. Um, and you understand why John can say that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that he is the Word who became flesh. You can understand why Paul can write Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so those who are in Christ Jesus are in him by faith, but being in Christ by faith means that you are now partakers in his death and in his resurrection. And that means that you uh, no longer stand guilty before God. You now have been uh, gifted or imputed is the reformed word, the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin and your shame and your guilt, but he sees Christ and he sees innocence and he sees righteousness and holiness. Which is such a beautiful thing. I mean, people even talking about why does the forgiveness of sins matter? Why does uh, it matter that we talk about this big theology word justification? Uh, Because the Bible uses it, one, and and we need to understand it, but also uh, the idea of Jesus using Stott's uh, language that you said about the substitute. Um, before, Before God, if God is just, sin has to be paid for. It is not loving for God. We'll talk about the governmental view here in a little bit, but it is not loving for God to merely pronounce that we are righteous. Mm-hmm. Because that would be like you as a father. Um, it is not loving to never discipline your children. And sometimes when we when we do wrong, when we sin, when we miss the mark, when we rebel against God, that has to be paid for because God is just and He demands that without holiness, no one can see the Lord. And so what we have in the atonement is this beautiful picture of both God's wrath being fully satisfied in Jesus. I love that you quoted Romans 8, 1, by the way. Um, in Jesus, we see God's wrath is fully satisfied, and then He imputes or He gives a, the believer righteousness. And I translated for a class I'm in right now, Ben. I, I'm translating and working on a research paper on Psalm 32, and In that, the psalmist says, Blessed is the one to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Mm. Well, that is such a beautiful thing because I did some looking into that word impute, and would you believe it, the same Hebrew word form that shows up in Psalm 32 goes all the way back to Genesis 15, which what does Genesis 15 tell us? The Lord saw Abraham and credited, reckoned, imputed, that to him as righteousness. So, you know, I think what a beautiful doctrine we have in the atonement. Now, there are some different ways that the atonement has been described in theory um, in church history. Ben, tell us what are the two main categories and how are they different? Okay, so the the two main categories, which we've already sort of described one, um, but is the... Four Lions calls it the penal satisfaction view of atonement. Um, I just mentioned that Stott kind of names it satisfaction through substitution. Some people call it penal substitutionary atonement, but that is um, that's the 
the kind of the main reformed view um, that that has been been around since well a long time. I mean, since Augustine, the the main proponent of it, I would say, to Athanasius, but also the Church Father Anselm of Canterbury, um, and his work uh, cures de homo. But then the other opposite view is called the governmental view. Um, so the penal satisfaction view is a term, uh, the word, the term penal, P-E-N-A-L, is a term that uh, refers to our penalty that we owe. So when you do something wrong or when you do something incorrect, there is a penalty. There is a consequence for your wrong actions. And what the the penal satisfaction view of atonement says is that, um, well, let me summarize it this way by what Anselm says. He says, man owes to God something he cannot repay, but he must repay it in order to be saved. And so we owe, our sins have brought on us a penalty. There's a penalty to God that we owe. There's a debt. There's a consequence for our sin actions. But the problem is, because we're sinful, we can't repay it. We have we have not the means to repay it. We have not the merit to repay it. Um, and so Anselm's argument is that it has to be someone that is perfect. It has to be someone that is a human, but someone that's also God, and someone that's also perfect and that's able to keep the law, um, which four lines mentions that active and passive obedience of Christ mm-hmm. um, in that that Christ kept the law, but also died that substitutionary death um, to to satisfy that penalty before God. Um, and so the penal satisfaction view says that Christ's death then satisfies the penalty that we owed. The debt that we owed has now been erased because um, because of Christ's life and death. I love the way Forlans describes this. Um, under his section there, Ben, the penal satisfaction view of the atonement, he has two for, or some other uh, subcategories such as the necessity of the atonement and the necessity for sin to be punished. I love this sentence on page 185, my copy of Quest. It says, The justice of God will not tolerate any attempt to set aside or diminish the penalty of the broken law of God. There can be no forgiveness of sin without a full satisfaction of the justice of God in the payment of the penalty. Yeah, exactly. And so that's... and that's. For, that's not just four lines saying that. That's four lines agreeing with thousands of years of Christian history um, where this has come because Anselm writes this in like 1,000, the year 1,000, 1,100, somewhere around. I can't remember exactly when he lived, but the medieval, it was medieval. Ma- the medieval discussion during that period was about the whole merit thing, mm-hmm. which, I mean, obviously we see how that gets teased out in the time of Luther uh, where where merit and indulgences became a thing. Uh, but even yeah. as as you point out, Ben, as early as as like around the thousand, uh, where Anselm and some of the others they're writing about. Now there were some heretical views that came up that that like Jesus paid a debt to Satan or something. That those are some those are heretical right. views. And so then you have Anselm coming on the scene saying, "No, he's not paying Satan. He's actually satisfying divine wrath in his work there on the cross." So. 
I think that your your connection and pointing out that four lines here, I mean, this is one thing I want to give a nod to Reformed Arminianism here, Ben. A lot of times Reformed Arminians get a bad rap, and I'm so thankful for our friend Matt Pinson who has written the book 40 Questions About Arminianism. We've interviewed him here mm-hmm. on the podcast. But in that book, he talks about some of the things that, that Arminians get sort of accused of believing or whatever. Here in, in Four Lines' section on the penal satisfaction view of the atonement, I feel like Calvin and Arminius both, if they heard Brother Four Lines teach on this, would give a hearty amen to this section mm-hmm. on the penal satisfaction view of the atonement. Yeah, and and that's what uh, Pinson's book really says too, is that we, we agree with Calvin, Arminius agreed with Calvin on the atonement, he just didn't agree with Calvin on the extent of it. Mm. Yeah. And so, which is a, a big difference. That is a major difference, but um, but there is the extent, uh, but there is the agreement of the, you know, the the whole nature of it and the need for it. Um, we know that that we are sinful beings and we stand guilty before God without the imputed righteousness of Christ. I love the word impute, by the way. Um, you know, there there have been some scholars in recent decades, and, and I, I just read recently um, that the late E.P. Sanders is now departed and, and with the Lord. Um, Sanders really kind of set in motion some of the things that N.T. Wright and others have really picked up on with understanding Jesus in light of Second Temple Judaism. And I thank those brothers for their helping us understand um, the Jewishness of Jesus for for how they help us kind of trace back um, our Messiah um, and maybe maybe mm-hmm. challenge our presuppositions implanted in us since the Reformation, Ben, that are just kind of instinctual. So I appreciate the way in which they challenge our thinking. I appreciate much of their perspective and their eschatology, um, but but I but I really. Am challenged when words like justification and um, imputation get played with, because I mean, you you have the word impute or reckon in in, in our Bibles, and we need to really think about what it means. Uh, I love that verse in Romans, Ben, and I think Four Lines actually quotes this in one of the sections in this chapter where that Jesus is not only the just, but He is the justifier of the one who yeah. has faith in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's the just, the just and the justifier. That's right. This is a sidebar to give you a hard time, Ben. How do you, what do you think about when people say that justification is just as if I had never sinned? <laughs> well, i I think there's a, I think there's a, I think there's truth to that. Um, but I think we need to be careful when we say that. So, um. Because when God, when we are justified in Christ, God no longer looks on us as guilty. And he does look on us as though we've not sinned because Christ never did and could not. Um, But at the same time, we don't need to think that way Um, because the, the closer to God we get, Spurgeon says, the more unholy we realize we truly are. Yeah. And and so I think I think I think that's a good 
it is a good, helpful way of sort of understanding justification, but we need to be careful. I, I'm often reminded of of what the psalmist said in, in Psalm 103, um, that as far as the east is from the west, he has cast our sins away from us. Ben, I, what I love mm-hmm. about the doctrine of penal satisfaction view of the atonement that we're talking about here from four lines is um, God doesn't have amnesia. He knows full well what you and I've done and rebellion against him. And yet he doesn't put that on our account because we have new garments. We have mm-hmm. the garments of righteousness, which we could not buy at Kohl's or Walmart. These garments of righteousness had to be given to us and received Mm -hmm. by us by faith. Right. Our righteousness, Isaiah tells us, is filthy rags. Any of you guys want a fun uh, word study sometime, you ought to look that up. We're not going to talk about that here on the podcast today. No. Um, But, yeah, so that's sort of the summary of the penal satisfaction view, as four lines call it. There's another major view called the governmental view, and the governmental view uh, was really instituted by a man named Grotius. Um, And Grotius basically denied the necessity of sin to be punished, basically. Um, And so he he said uh, that basically sin requires punishment only as it is necessary to secure the ends of God's government. Um, so in other words, it's not that sin can't be punished or shouldn't be punished, but there's not an absolute necessity. The penalty can be set aside and never punished as long as other means are provided to protect the interests of God's government. Um, so Dustin, maybe maybe a couple to tell our listeners why there's problems with that. With the governmental view, um, I, I think the problem really becomes uh, either actual righteousness or pronounced, and that's really kind of the, the key issue there. Um, but Fourline says on page two hundred one, those who hold the governmental view agree that the absolute righteousness is what God required of the sinner, and eternal death is the penalty for disobedience. However, in view of faith of Christ, God sets the penalty aside under the governmental view. Why is that a big deal? Faith, Fourline says, is not for absolute righteousness in the governmental view but it is counted for or as righteousness. So four lines continues. I just love the way he takes these complex concepts and brings them down to earth. He says, since justification in the governmental view declares the person to be righteous without this declaration being based on absolute righteousness, it can be seen that it is appropriate to give stress to the word declare. The believer is declared to be righteous, but he is not righteous. And this is supposed to be the way grace works. But four lines continues. And I'm sorry for the long quote here, but it's just so helpful. Um, The believer is declared righteous because the righteousness of Christ, which is real, is his. And so he goes on, the judge must go by the law. He can declare a person righteous only as he is righteous by the standard of the law. Think about it this way. If a car careens into your apartment, um, 
you know, you're going to, or let's say someone crashes into your car in the parking lot, Ben, you're going to want that person's insurance to have to pay for you. How would you feel if someone smashed into your vehicle and then you went into court about it and then the other person, the judge just says, I know you smashed into Ben's car, um, but I'm just going to declare that you never had done that. That's not justice. Mm -hmm. And I think what Four Lines is trying to get out here, sorry if that was a bad analogy. I was trying to build it together as we were talking on the fly here. But the courtroom analogy definitely comes out when we think about problems with the governmental view. And I, I love what Four Lines says. He says on page 203, the satisfaction view more successfully shows the importance of holiness and the seriousness of sin. It gives a much higher view of the love of God, and it creates a more solid foundation with respect for God's government. What Four Lines basically says, you could look at both theories of the atonement. Penal satisfaction doesn't have the biblical support. Penal satisfaction has more biblical support and Christian historical support than does the governmental view uh, of the atonement. Yeah, and one of the one of the major differences here is the reality that what 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 the Bible says that sin must be punished. God, in His holiness, cannot leave sin unpunished, and. Um, that's sort of what the governmental view suggests is that there is a possibility that, that he could. And so there's just a little bit, of, a little bit of danger there that, that we, if you truly consider the atonement, you kind of want to avoid. Uh, but J Dustin, let's look at the conclusion here. I mean, what, how does this apply to ordinary believers? And that's an excellent question. How does the discussion on atonement and justification apply um, to ordinary believers? As we think about the fact that we're in Christmas season or Advent season, we're reflecting back on the fact that Jesus came in the flesh, um, and He had to come in the flesh as our kinsman redeemer to take away the sin uh, that we have so treacherously dealt against God in rebellion um, and, and as the Son of God, how does how does the doctrine of atonement and justification impact uh, you, everyday believer? No matter what you face today, no matter how difficult your day may be, no matter if you find yourself in a difficult ministry context or you know you're dealing with family issues, um, you can rest in the hope that Christ has made atonement. And you know what? You may have sinned. You may have been short with someone in your life. You may not have, you know been wise, you may have sinned against another person, whether in your work or your family or some other way. But dear friend, you can you could be encouraged today knowing that Christ Jesus paid for that sin on the cross. And through your faith in Him, you are counted as righteous before God the Father. Ben, one of the best images for this that really, I think, applies this for us, maybe in a less direct way than we would want for application, but um, the, the the marriage of the Lamb in Revelation is described, you know, the lamb is described without spot or blemish. As part of the bride of Christ, Ben, I look in the mirror and I, I see my blemishes. I don't feel like I'm wearing a white wedding dress some days. And yet, because of the beautiful, precious blood of Jesus, the Father looks at you and He looks at me 
as having on a garment without spot and without blemish, not because of me or you, but solely because of the imputation of Jesus's righteousness. That gives us encouragement. It gives us hope. But it also been, as we think about Christmas, it gives us a reason to be missional in our environment, in our grocery store, in our jobs. Why should we be missional? Because everybody that we deal with is either in Christ or outside of Christ. And I do hope that our listeners this holiday season, that the Holy Spirit will open up opportunities for them to gather around the table and talk with their family or their kids about why why Jesus and the beauty that, you know, we were enemies of God. The word Bible word is reconciliation. Now we're friends of God. Uh, what a great truth. And that just compels me to think about Four Lines' favorite hymn of the love of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just simply leave you with uh, the this one verse of comfort and uh, a great explanation of the atonement. Though your sins be as scarlet, they are now white as snow. Only the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ can uh, change our colors. You all should and, go uh, listen we, to uh, this song, Ben. It made me think of, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. The song is uh, His Mercy is More. I want to encourage our listeners to go look yeah. at the song His Mercy is More. Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, dear listener, thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Theology Podcast. Please give us a rating on your favorite podcasting app. And uh, until next time, we pray that these truths reach you for your good and for God's glory.